Hmm. All of a sudden, it got very noisy. Hmm. Uh, can you turn your uh, sound down just a little bit? Uh, uh, it's very noisy, Shh. including your... Um, let me tap the microphone or something. How about that? It's, that it's, okay? it's okay now. It's okay now. Okay. All right. So you had asked a question uh, concerning the fact that you became or that you noticed that you had become jealous <laughs> of someone that you had no reason really to be jealous of. You don't even know him. Yeah. Okay. That's very interesting. Uh, we can we can talk about uh, jealousy as the outcome of a fetter. Hmm. That in fact in um, the the five lower fetters are talked about in the suttas several times. They're mentioned. We know what they are. That the first three fetters are dissolved by knowledge, and that is the knowledge of personality view the knowledge of rites, rules, and rituals, and how we keep telling ourselves to do stuff that we don't want to do. And then, eventually, the doubt is erased in the sense of doubt about what is and what is not the path, doubt about who's got to tread the path, and doubt as to whether you can, in fact, tread that path and get the benefit out of it. Once we get through those doubts, and that you're completely secure, now is the time to actually start in earnest to, to actually remove the defilements. And yet most people, before they have this noble view uh, and the eradication of these three defilements, they only know dukkha enough to where they think that, oh, I should not be angry. Or I should not be this. And so what they do is they take uh, sensuality or, or greed or desire and ill will that is just part of the Eightfold Noble Path mixed with ignorance. And so the Eightfold Noble Path actually, excuse me, the Second Noble Truth. So the Second Noble Truth is greed, ill will, and ignorance. And the way that the Buddha talks about it is, is that if we can eradicate the ignorance, then we can in, uh, eradicate the underlying tendencies for greed and ill will. But if we really don't understand what we're doing, then greed and ill will would be difficult to deal with. So when we begin to peel back the greed and the ill will because we have right noble view, as we uh, discover what this greed and ill will, which is, by the way, the third and the fourth fetter, once we start to pull those back, we begin to get down to the deeper stuff, which is the higher fetters. Now, the higher fetters are not really discussed very often. They're kind of mentioned both in the Abhidhamma and they're also mentioned in the Samyutta Nikaya. And the funny part about it is, is that they have two different lists. And, and that the reason that the, the lists are different is because in the Abhidhamma, they go down to uh, not what the fetter is, but the result of the fetter. Now, in, this, in the suttas, in the Samyutta Nikaya, we're, we're talking about that, that fetter uh, is the fetter of conceit or the, or the fetter of manu. 
is the poly word for it. Now, what that conceit means is that if you compare yourself to another person, if we do so, we're also doing it critically. That we cannot uh, nurture someone or have nurturing feelings for someone when we're comp in competition with them. Then instead, that competition that we have with them is based upon greed and ill will and a certain level of ignorance. And when we start to uncover the greed and ill will, we'll begin to understand that this manna will actually fall into one of two places. If I compare myself to another person, one possibility is, is that I win, and then I have pride. And if I compare myself to another person and I lose, then I have either jealousy or envy. Mm. Okay, and let's describe what's the distinction between jealousy and envy. Uh, jealousy is when uh, you're jealous of someone who has the same thing that you do. And it may be better, but envy is when they've got something that you don't have at all. Okay, so an example is the girl sees okay, yeah. the boy. The girl sees the boy that she wants with another girl. And she becomes envious. But if she goes and makes a connection with that boy, then the original girlfriend is going to experience jealousy. Jealousy has more in, uh, has more ill will in it. Really? Yes. How dare you come take what I have? Ah, uh, okay. Rather than the uh, envy is the more greed, I want what you have. But they're both examples of the outcome of comparing ourselves to other people. And this is very insidious in the sense that it does create dukkha. There's actually two kinds of dukkha the dukkha of pride, and then the dukkha of envy and jealousy. And if we uh, are able to uh, come out of our um, comparing mind, out of the uh, critical mind, into the nurturing mind for ourselves in our normal practice, in other words, if we're practicing anapanasati correctly, then we will come out of, in the, in the moment, out of any desire to make ourselves better or any desire to criticize ourselves and just allow us to be as we are, nurtured. And everything is okay. Everything is all right. And so we gladden the mind and get ourselves into a state of sukha. Right. And and the place to do this easiest is in seclusion. When we get away from the world, we get away from the screen, we get away from other people, we get away from it all. And then we can begin to deal with the fact that I'm still not happy because I still not only am I secluded from all the stuff that made me unhappy, I didn't get really secluded from it because I brought it in with me. <laughs> So now I have to recognize I'm not going to deal with that stuff that I brought in here that's causing me all the suffering and all the woes and, and whatnot, that I'm actually going to practice being okay, 
practice being satisfied, practice being secure and safe and comfortable. Because when we're in seclusion, we are safe, secure, and comfortable. There really are no alligators on the floor. So you might as well go ahead and feel safe now. And so we need to practice how we feel so that we can get ourselves into feeling the way that we want to feel. And then we can learn to deal with the outside world. So if you had been in that bar feeling secure and comfortable and happy and satisfied and saw someone come in, you wouldn't have had to compare yourself with them. You are already in, the, in a way of pre-programming in, in the sense of things are not really as good off as I would like it to be. And now this guy walks us in and that proves it to you. Mm. Except that you don't even know him. You really don't even know how much trouble he's seen or how much trouble he gives himself. All we know right now is that we're, we're hassling ourselves. We're comparing ourselves to someone else because already we didn't feel secure. So naturally, it's going to be the easier thing to do is to compare ourselves to someone else and fail at that comparison. And then we feel jealous and envy. Because you've already set him up as something to uh, compare yourself against. <laughs> naturally, he's going to he's going to win. It, it takes a different kind of setup in the sense of uh, when you recognize that your uh, practice, your Dhamma practice, has now given skills, that you've got the skills you need. And the skills that you need are the skills of being happy and secure and content. And also the skills that are follow along with that is, is that if you are happy, secure and content, then you don't want to hurt anyone to get mm. something. You don't want to steal things that you don't really all want all that much. And so our sila <laughs> becomes quite nice, quite beautiful. And now, if we haven't finished with all of that stuff, after we really do have ourselves on top, now we can go out and start comparing ourselves to others. And this time we win every time. Until we get tired of the winning, because we recognize that every time that I'm comparing myself against somebody, that I'm actually putting myself in a position to lose. And if I don't compare myself to anybody, then we're both okay. And if I start to compare myself with another person, that already means by comparison that I'm actually being critical of us both. And if I can come out of that and be nurturing then I can be nurturing to myself and then I might even be able to hold a conversation with this guy in a nurturing way. Hi, how are you doing? Glad to see you. <laughs> and so we change that whole meditation practice out of the normal ways of living into nurturing, to have nurturing thoughts, to say you really are okay. You're so okay, you don't even have to compare yourself with others to check out to see if you are okay or not. You really, you, you already are. And so this is how we lead into correct practice. And the important point is here 
uh, on the Eightfold Noble Method or path is right effort. We have to actually take the effort to throw unwholesome thoughts, thoughts of comparison ourselves to others, thoughts of good and bad, right and wrong, up and down, and change that into wholesome thoughts. Wholesome thoughts that would be nourishing. The wholesome thought of everything's okay, everything is fine, no problems. And if you had been able to remember to do that when you were sitting in that bar and saw that guy walk in, you could say, hey, everything's all right. What a handsome fellow he is. <laughs> yeah, um, I don't know. Feelings were pretty strong as, as that situation arose. Yeah, mm-hmm. they don't know. Right, and so that's why we, we want to practice. This is, in fact, a good example of Murphy's Law. <laughs> okay. Have we talked about Murphy's Law? Um, the worst uh, possible thing happening at the least convenient time, is that, is that right? Yeah, anything that go wrong, can go wrong will go wrong, and it will go wrong at the worst possible moment. And now that point has actually revolutionized engineering back in the 1960s, completely revolutionized engineering, because in, that, in those days, they expected everything to go wrong. An example of that was tubes. You remember that before we had transistors, we had tubes, tube-type radios? Yeah. Uh, yeah, okay. No, I've, seen, I've so, seen pictures of them, yeah. You've seen pictures of them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, they're that antique, aren't they? But back in those days, we had to change the tubes often because we expect the tubes to fail. With more modern stuff, uh, we expect the computers to not fail. Which means that when they do, we feel bad because we expect them to not fail. In the old days of radio with tubes, we always kept a bunch of tubes extra so that when things failed, we could repair it easily. And this is where Murphy's Law comes in, because if you're going to send a satellite up, you can't fix it up there. Anything that can go wrong will go wrong, and it's going to go wrong at the worst possible moment. We need to plan on that. We need to take that into consideration. (laughs) Okay. Okay. And there's many examples of that. One would be that if you had a, a brand new hotel that had a thousand rooms, and you had a brand new fancy computer system that was rated that this software and this hardware would handle a thousand rooms. Okay. When is that computer system going to fail? I've heard you say. Uh, you remember. It? Huh? First, <laughs> yeah, it's first busiest night, was it? Right. The first time. Well, actually, it'll probably wait until the, the hotel is absolutely full. Yeah. And the computer has reached its capacity, and that's when it will fail. Hmm. Okay. If we know that, then we can know that, hey, I'm going to walk into a bar. That's a dangerous place. Things can go (laughs) south in my own mind in a hurry. Let me be on guard when I go into a bar, because that's a dangerous place. And things are likely, like my own mind, to jump Mm Mm-hmm. So we begin to think about what is it that can get set up 
so that we, in fact, can go into a place where things fail. And what do I mean by this? Well, if we get ourselves to the place where we can feel all right and everything is fine and everything is marvelous, then what is it that's going to bring us out of that back into our original ordinary mind of suffering, of dukkha, of uh, anxiety, of tension, of comparing and losing? If we haven't practiced well, then that's going to happen really easy. But if we practice in seclusion to get ourselves to the point that we can handle anything in, in seclusion, now we're getting ready to where we can go out into the world and handle anything in the world because we can handle our own mind in seclusion. Because when we go out into the world, guess what? There the mind is. <laughs> that in fact, uh, there was nothing but mind anyway. And yeah. that the only thing that the that the world is doing is just providing new input. But the world that you live in is, in fact, the world of one's own mind. And that and that we know all about that from the teaching of Paticca Samuppada, uh, in the sense that when we see an object with the eyes, in order to make sense out of it, we have to turmoil or um, mull it over a little bit. We have to perceive it, or we have to understand what it is. And so in that regard, there's two kinds of seeing. I can see the object, and then later I can say, I see what you mean. And when I yeah. say, I see what you mean, that's a different level uh, of, and the Pali word for that is the salayatana. The salayatana means the internal representation of that which we brought in from the outside. That we actually don't live in the real world, we live in a constructed world of understanding. If we lived in the actual real world and only in the real world, then we would be completely ignorant of what was happening in the, in the real world. All we have is a sensory input. But because we can take that sensory input and put it in with all of our old past to make sense out of it. For instance, if I see that object, I can name it as tree because I've seen trees before. And so this is what I'm getting at is, is that we don't really live in the real world anyway. We live in a world that is immediately constructed out of parts of the real world and our past. Right? So if we can continuously then practice on just living in the real world in the sense of be here now, live in sensory input, and spend less and less time in in our in our past, then we are most likely going to perceive things the way that they really are, rather than perceive things and see them the way they used to be because we're remembering how it used to be. Hmm. And so you are actually and have been before in the habit of comparing yourself to other people. And so that's what was there, was the past. That you actually, in a way, weren't comparing yourself to this guy in, in that room at that particular moment. You were bringing in a bunch of old stuff in the past. You were, in fact, inventing things about yeah. him mm. and then comparing those things with your own past. Mm. Rather than comparing you with him that you see right in the moment with who you are right in this present moment. 
that you brought the past in for doing that comparison. And if we can keep track of that, wait a minute, I don't have to bring the past in to understand the present. I can just allow the present to be the wow that it actually is right now. Okay. And yeah. so you could have actually seen that guy and says, wow, look at him. And that would have been the end of it. But in fact, you had to dig up the past to, uh, to figure out who you were, <laughs> and then you invented some stuff about him, and now you're comparing um, past failures with imaginary successes <laughs> that he's got. I mean, after all, he's got a drop-dead drop gorgeous babe with him, so she <laughs> must think he's quite marvelous. Therefore, he must be quite marvelous, you see. This is how we do it. And so we compare ourselves to others, and we invariably wind up feeling bad. This is one of the high fetters. Where does that come from? Basically, where it comes from is uh, fear. The number one feeling that all humans have is the feeling of fear. And that feeling of fear is actually the language of that part of the mind, of that part of the brain, which uh, is referred to in scientific circles as the self preservation instinct mm. so when you came in to see that guy in a very very tiny way you allowed his uh, the perception of him to intimidate you just a little bit a little bit of mm. fear comes Maybe. in yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. just a tiny little bit of fear to come in and we don't recognize that if we had been practicing Anapanasati really, really well, then as soon as that fear comes, aha, I see you fear, out you go, and I'm really good to go right now. Let me take <laughs> yeah, a deep okay. breath, and I'm okay. All right? And so then, if we can just be okay in the moment, we can actually make friends with this guy, rather than comparing ourselves to him. Well, I mean, he was, he was like at the opposite end of the bar, but, you know, I, I don't think I would have ever gone out of my way to... Who knows? Who knows? Well, you certainly went out of the way to feel bad about it. <laughs> yeah, I guess. <laughs> yeah. So, knowing that we can feel bad just by looking at someone. I mean, it's, those feelings will pop up that fast that we will make that kind of connection sometimes very quickly. Winding up feeling bad. When, there, in fact, there's no reason to feel bad at all. Whether that guy walked into the bar or not is absolutely irrelevant to how you would feel if you were, in fact, able to control or manage your feelings. <laughs> and so that's really what we're practicing with Anapanasati is talk yourself into feeling the way you want to feel rather than feeling afraid and then having to go and compare yourself with this guy and all of that kind of stuff that wound up uh, in a full-blown full-blown dukkha hmm. where you're unhappy and dissatisfied and there's no reason for us to feel that way other than the fact that that's our habit and so we're in the habit of, of winding out com comparing ourselves to things or to want something that somebody else's have or everything like that and we wind up feeling bad for no reason at all that you would have felt better, in fact, if he hadn't even walked into the room. The fact is, you walked into the room with that Thai girl, 
And because you walked into the room with that tight girl, you use that as an opportunity. Yeah, well, actually, actually, that. it unfolded. It unfolded. There was first he, first he walked into the bar, and I was astounded uh, by by uh, appearances, and and then I looked closer, um, and I noticed. Then I noticed the girl, and then I compared myself to that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, on top of that. Yeah. And by doing that comparison, we rob ourselves of our joy. That's yeah. why this manna or this comparison or this competition uh, is uh, a very subtle fetter. Mm. It's very, very subtle. So be on guard for that so that the next time you can say, wait a minute, I don't have to do that. Mm. I don't have to feel that way. I can feel the way that I want to. Yeah. Right. Okay. Thank you very much, Damaretto. I have to. I have to go now. All right. Well, practice well. Remember, yeah. you can feel just the way you want to feel if you practice doing that. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Okay. Bye bye. Well, good afternoon. Bye.